And good afternoon on this, well, hello, Dan. Something strange happened today. Uh-oh. What happened, Buzz? Some water came from the sky. I've never seen such a thing. Do you remember it? I, that I don't remember what that is. Yeah. It, it, it happened for can a good you, 20 can... minutes. and uh, It's still happening. Do you hear it? Is it? It's happening right now. Oh, look at that. I'm in the studio, and I'm shielded from that glorious event, and I hope it continues enough to... Uh, you said you wanted three days. We're going to get two. I went long enough so that the grass underfoot doesn't crunch when I walk on it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I, am, I am really excited about this week, in particular about today. We are um, blessed once again. Um, for me, it is such a joy to have Professor Emeritus uh, Richard Wolf uh, on the show. Um, and we're going to speak with Rick in just a minute. And uh, following that will be the monthly Appearance by Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner. We have a lot to talk about about what's going on in Greenfield. Tomorrow um, will be the f her first appearance on our show, the brand new, right off the presses, GCC President Michelle Schrutt will join us um, in studio, and I'm really looking forward to meeting her and, and introducing her to any listeners who have not yet met her. On Wednesday, 2nd Berkshire Representative Paul Mark will come in for his monthly um, appearance on this show, but um, he also is running for his Senate, so he'll be talking about um, matters involving the Massachusetts Senate and his reasons for running for that. Um, later in the week, we have Fair Play with Duke Goldman. Um, Duke, the historian and, and baseball writer, is also uh, a social justice commentator, and he will be talking about the pay scale for minor league players and the disproportionality and also the treatment of women and gays in professional baseball. And f on Friday, we have Andrea Campbell, who's a candidate for attorney general. Um, she is the, uh, the only endorsement Maura Healy, candidate for governor, has made is for, her, uh, for Andrea Campbell, the uh, Boston City Councilor, who's a candidate for attorney general. On Monday, Dr. Tammy Gouveia-Acton, she is running for lieutenant governor. And she'll be on the show, and on uh, on Tuesday, it might be Wednesday, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll returns to the show. She, too, is a candidate um, for lieutenant governor. So um, we have a lot coming up, but right now I am pleased once again to welcome to the show um, Richard Wolf, the Professor Emeritus of Economics from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. He's currently a professor in the graduate program in international affairs at the New School in New York, and he has that weekly economic update syndicated to more than 100 radio stations and 55 million TV receivers via Free Speech TV. Hello, Rick. Hi, Buzz. Glad to be talking with you. I'm always... Uh, folks, get your pencil and pad ready because I'm always learning when I speak to... Richard Wolf, you just um, produced an article for Economy for All, um, which is a project of the Independent Media Institute entitled Why Capitalism Should Abandon Its Secular Religion Around Markets. And I really wanted to talk to you about that. Can you lay out the thesis um, for that article? Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, our economic system, uh, capitalism, uh, which is really what it should be called and what it has been called for a century, uh, often gets called in this country a slightly different name. Uh, for example, the market system or the free market system or free market capitalism. It's as though here in the United States uh, 
uh, perhaps more than in other parts of the world. There's a desire to put the market up there on a pedestal, that there's something absolutely spectacularly wonderful, uh, perfect. The word perfect appears in discussions of markets all the time. Perfect competition, perfectly uh, cleared markets and so forth. And my job, I think, as an economic thinker, is what I do for a living, uh, was to say, does this hold up, this image? Is the market this paragon, this uh, almost godly-like uh, institution? Uh, if you read the transcripts in the U.S. Senate, uh, the House of Representatives in Washington, or any of the state legislatures, you'll see large numbers of our representatives speaking affirmatively about uh, all manner of social problems and saying simply this, let's have the market deal with that problem, or that problem is best solved letting the market work its magic, or let's turn to a market solution. Uh, it's almost as though the market has become uh, deified. And so I play with religious imagery because it's a little bit like bowing down uh, to something which, if you look at it carefully, really doesn't deserve it. So let me, that's the second half of my point, so let me do that briefly with you. Um, the market is an institution. It was invented by human beings at various points in their history. Uh, it was often invented only to be rejected. Then it was invented and again at a later point or in a different culture. And then it was used for a while. Then people got frustrated with it, decided not to use it for a while. In other words, it's not always been there. It has not always been what people chose uh, to use or make use of. It doesn't have any of the superhuman qualities uh, that people have given to it. Here's what a market does. It distributes things from the people who produce them to the people who consume them. So immediately, the minute I say that, I hope in many of your minds listening, you realize that if we have an economy in which people are self-sufficient, either as individuals or maybe as families or as kin groups, or you can get even larger and talk about tribes or clans, when we have that kind of an arrangement where the people who produce are the same as the people who consume what they produce, then they don't have markets because they don't need to distribute from producer to consumer because it's the same person. It's just like a farmer in, in Franklin County somewhere uh, who never goes to the market to buy sugar because he uses maple trees to convert the syrup into the crystals and has his sugar that way. No need to go to a market if you produce the stuff yourself. Well, modern economies tend to have what we call a division of labor. In other words, the people who produce are not the same as the people who consume. And so what we do is we arrange for a mechanism. Any society in which the producers and consumers are different people would have to have some mechanism to move the stuff from the, you know, the baker who makes the bread. That bread has to get into the hands of the people who need to eat, but who are busy making pots and pans, which 
have to find their way into the hands of the bakers so that the baker can use them, except everybody can fill in uh, the story. So there's, there's always, Rick Wolf, this assumption when we worship at the altar of markets that markets will find an equilibrium. Whatever they find as the right price or the right supply, that's the right one because that's what markets do so well. Exactly. exactly. And that's what I want to go right after at this point. Uh, I'm going to use a concrete example, but it's easy to think of it. The minute you, you, you understand what a market does, uh, the people who produce come to the market to sell. What do they want to do? They want to sell what they uh, have brought, and they want to exchange it for something else, something that they want to consume but that they don't happen to produce. And so a kind of negotiation, bargaining, a lot of words for it, take place between the two sides of every market, of every exchange, the buyer and the seller. So let's assume something which happens every day, uh, that the people who come with something to sell are eager to buy a hundred of something else. But there isn't a hundred of something else because the something else came to market and all they had was 50 of whatever the other thing is that you wanted exchanged uh, for whatever it is you bring. Or to say the same thing in simple English, let's imagine that there is, quote unquote, a shortage that people want more than there is of something. And let's remember, when production is undertaken, when, we, when anybody decides to produce anything, they have to make an educated guess. It takes time to produce things. The time you make to, to start the process is well before the f production process is finished. You have the output at the other end. So you've got to guess when you make the commitment to produce how much the market will buy of whatever it is you're going to dump in the market two, four, eight, twelve months from the time you initiate production. I think I can smell what's going to happen to prices when there's a shortage. Yep, yep. So if you've guessed wrong, with you, nobody's, no one is saying wrong in the sense that you made a mistake, but it's uncertain what the future holds. We all know that. So there's going to be shortages all the time, and there always are. And now the question comes, how does the market handle this literally everyday event? And here's where the question comes. The answer is that typically people begin to notice that there's a shortage. There's 100 people came, and they all wanted a loaf of bread. But the baker was only able on this particular day, for God knows what reason, to have available 50 loaves. The people who want bread now understand whether they can put it into words or not. i got to do something or else I'm going to be leaving the market today without the bread I came to get. So what, this, what do they do? They bid the price up. They offer, instead of the $5 that was being asked for a loaf of bread, they look at the baker and say, I tell you what, I'll give you six. And that the other person standing right next to this first person says, oh, oh I see what's happening. I'll offer seven. So they keep bidding up the price because everybody knows what I'm about to say. As the price goes up, the people with the least amount of wealth, the least amount, will be forced to drop out because they ha can pay 5 bucks, but they can't pay 15 bucks for a loaf of bread. Their budget won't allow it. So they drop away. And so eventually what happens is you're left 
with the 50 most well-heeled buyers of bread having bid, bid up, they will now buy the, the 50 loaves of bread at whatever the price is they bid it up to, and then the market is in equilibrium. Then the demand of those few who can afford it is equal to supply that the bakers have. And that's the price the market delivers. And here's, the, here's what, obviously, your vignette leads to a really logical conclusion in the one minute we have before we take a, a short break. And that is, are you saying that it's in the interest of the producer to create a shortage? Absolutely. The producer isn't stupid. The producer understands uh, the laws of supply and demand every bit as much as an A student in an economics class. The, the baker understands, whoa, if I could manipulate the supply, and maybe even the more exciting, if I could manipulate the demand, I can get the market to give me a very fat price and therefore a very fat profit. Limiting the supply is easy because he's in charge of the production of the loaves of bread. But we have an industry called advertising, which allows him to also manipulate the demand by flooding the TV show that you watch in the evening with images of happy people munching on your particular bread. So if you jack up the uh, advertising budget for the demand side and you restrict a little bit on the supply, wow, you can drive up the price until, my goodness, you could overnight change uh, a gallon of gas from $2 to $4. Well, what's the problem? Happens all the time. It happens all the time. We are talking with Professor Emeritus Richard Wolf. We're talking about why capitalism, why it's time to abandon our secular religion that we've created around this notion of markets. We're going to be back with Rick and illuminate this more right after these messages. Stay with us. is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. How can students and their families afford college, and what do they get in return for this very large investment? Perhaps you saw the article in Sunday's New York Times, which prominently featured Ed Wingenbach, president of Hampshire College. We'll speak to the president about this topic and the future of Hampshire, beginning Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Hello, I'm Hampshire County Sheriff Patrick Haling, and I'm a Democratic candidate for sheriff focused on progressive community-based programming. I'm running for re-election this year. I've been your sheriff for six years, and I love the work I do because I help people to be productive members of the community. Please remember to vote for me on September 6th. Learn more by visiting our Facebook page or website, klaneforsheriff.com. Thank you. Paid for by the committee to elect Patrick J. K. Helene. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no-hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle. 
Rob Avery from Lundgren Honda. We're all looking to get the most for our money when it comes to buying gas. How is your gas mileage doing? Is it as good as when you first got your vehicle? Let Lundgren Honda help. We will have one of our technicians perform an express oil change service. It will change your oil and filter and fill the engine with the correct oil. Check and set the tire pressures to the proper specs and make sure that your air filter is clean. All of these make a big difference when it comes to gas mileage. Call, stop by, or make an appointment online and mention this ad for 10% off. Consumer Satisfaction Award winners two years running. Lundgren Honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience. See the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 Federal Street and LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with author and thinker Richard Wolf. Professor Emeritus of Economics at UMass uh, Amherst and currently a visiting professor in the graduate program in international affairs at the New School University. And we're talking about his recent article um, by, uh, produced by Economy for All, which is a project of the Independent Media Institute, about why capitalism should abandon already its secular religion, stop worshiping at the altar of markets. And... We were just talking about how shortages can indeed, there's an incentive on the part of producers to create shortages because they know that they'll be getting their price. Um, so how do, how do, what about labor? What about, we always hear about labor markets, Rick. Well, you know, in many ways it is, it is similar. Uh, the labor market, uh, at least that's what the term usually means, has to do with the way capitalism organizes people. Um, we basically have two classes, the class of the employers and the class of the employees. And the fundamental relationship between these two involves not only producing something in the factory or the office or the store, but it involves an exchange relationship. And that means markets. And the market is, I'm the worker, the employee, I'm going to sell you eight hours of my effort Monday through Friday, and you're going to buy it from me by giving to me something I want, which is money. Uh, we call that a wage or a salary. You give that to me, and I give you my capacity to work. I will come to your place of business at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning, and you will control me. You will tell me where to sit or stand or what kind of machine to work with, what kind of raw material to work on, uh, how often I can go to the bathroom. And then at 5 o'clock, I go home, and a very magical thing happens. Everything that I helped to produce in those eight hours, that I poured my, my brains, my skills, my hard work, my energy, my muscle power, whatever it is I've contributed, I've helped to produce stuff which is instantly and automatically somebody else's property. I don't get that. that. That belongs to the employer. His or her employer's relationship to me is done when I get paid my wage and they take the fruits of my labor, and that's the end of the story. I go home, have a beer and a pizza, and go back the next day and do all that again. Uh, that's how the labor market works. And just as we were saying before the break, there's every incentive for the employer to try to 
expand uh, the benefits he can get by manipulating the market. And instead of a shortage and boosting demand, which is what the employer does with the output he sells, we now play the reverse game. What the employer wants to do is reduce the demand for working people, for labor, and boost the supply. Because the more the supply exceeds the demand, the less the employer has to offer to get people to come to work because everybody's worried about all the people that are unemployed. Everybody's worried that they might not get or keep a job. And when you have that situation, you're going to be willing to take lousier pay than you otherwise might. That's why employers are the ones who want to bring immigrants in often, because that increases the supply of labor, which is what they want. Likewise, they like to go abroad, move production abroad, not just because the wages are cheaper over there. That's a big reason, but not just that. It's because if you move production abroad, you render lots of people here who used to have the jobs that used to be here they're now out of work. They become more supply. And just as you need fewer because you moved your, your production to Shanghai, you're going to be in a position to offer low wages, and people are going to have to take them. Look, that the last two or three years, that's what we've done. We've filled up the American labor scene with jobs, to be blunt and honest, that are not very good. Low pay, few benefits, lots of insecurity. Indeed, it's shameful. So uh, what I want to ask you, and there are other markets, so we just we only have two minutes. We don't have enough time to talk about the markets for loans and, and right. this sort. But what I, I really wanted to raise is this notion that I was raised with, I think we were all raised with, that somehow markets, the invisible hand that goes over markets, is going to find something called equilibrium, balance, it's natural. There's supplies and there's demands and there's going to be this natural balance. But you're sort of putting a big hole in that theory, aren't you? I am, but let me be honest. Not, not so much modest, just honest. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, back in the Middle Ages, if you go back and read with some of the greatest thinkers, uh, Thomas Aquinas and, and many others, uh, the Roman Catholic Church made a distinction between the market price and what they called, what the church called, the just price, just as injustice. And they said, very clearly, as a matter of Catholic, official Catholic theology, that the market, that the, the price that happens in a market is not necessarily the price that God wants there to be. God wants a price that is a just price. And the church offered itself as the institution that could interpret what that price was that entailed justice, both to the producer of whatever it was and to the consumer. And they did not accept the idea that the market achieved a just price. Indeed, they didn't hesitate to draw the conclusion that if you misunderstood what the market price was and imagined it was the just price, you were committing a sin. You were violating uh, the understanding of how the world should work that the Church officially endorsed. So I am in no way the first one to 
be critical of the market or, or have an attitude towards it that is one not of the kind of, of, of a fundamentalist religious commitment that I think is the norm in our culture. And I wish, uh, I wish we all could just get to a place where that is. It's so obvious, it's so truthful, and I appreciate it. His name is Richard Wolf. He is uh, his recent three books with Democracy at Work are sick, "The Sickness Is the System," and of course, "Understanding Marxism, Understanding Socialism." That's what uh, Rick Wolf has spent a career helping us do. You are inexhaustible, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rick. And thank you, Buzz, for inviting me and for having a program that goes into these issues. It's a real public service. Thank you very much. We are going to be back with Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating a murder on Long Hill Street in Springfield that happened early Saturday morning. Officials say around 1.45 a.m., officers were called to a report of a gunshot victim in the area of the 0 to 100 block of Long Hill Street. The person was located and provided first aid. The adult man was taken to Bay State Medical Center where he died due to his injuries. A Northampton man is being held without bail after being accused of stabbing his roommate in Hatfield last month. Devin Bryden is accused of stabbing and killing 21-year-old Jenna Abramowitz in their Hatfield Street apartment that they shared with the Dial South program, which provides housing and other resources to young adults who may be at risk of being homeless. Bryden will be back in court in February. Whether to demolish or rehab the St. John Cantius Catholic Church in Northampton will be the topic of discussion for the City Community Preservation Act Committee this week. Owner O'Connell Development is asking for $500,000 to fund repairs as part of a $4.6 million plan to build 10 residences inside the church. The Community Preservation Committee meets virtually at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Amherst counselors are looking to overhaul their streetlight policy after complaints that it's just too bright. Two counselors are proposing an overhaul of the policy that's been in place since 2001. The new guidelines, which would be sent to the Town Services and Outreach Committee for review, would use the Kelvin scale, also known as correlated color temperature. The second part of the policy would be in regard to light placement based on the town's zoning use map. For the rest of today, cloudy with showers and thunderstorms, high 76 to 80. Tonight, cloudy chance for showers, overnight lows 62 to 66. And the other for Tuesday, mostly cloudy chance for showers and thunderstorms, highs in the lower 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Minutemen football lives here. Olsen lops it. Josiah Johnson, end zone, touchdown, Massachusetts. Daylight. Zone touchdown, Ellis Merriweather from eight yards out. Follow the action all season long on your home for Minutemen football. The UMass Sports Network from Learfield. Touchdown, Massachusetts. 
Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, your message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And I was about to say that this is Wiedergartner Wednesday, but <laughs> it's not. The Wiedergartner part, yes, the mayor is with us today as she is monthly, um, but it's not on Wednesday. It's on a Monday, and I want to thank you so much for joining us, Mayor. Sure. I just want to let you and your constituents know who may be living in a box without windows that I needed an umbrella to get to my car. That is something to celebrate. And I needed one to get into this building. I love so, it. It's great. Th- that well, means it must be raining outside. It, I just, I know, I asked Dan, what is that water coming from the sky? I've never seen such it's a thing. Right. <laughs> Listen, I just want to remind folks that um, although mail-in registration deadline is passed, that was um, August 17th, I think folks know that during that hurried legislative session that just ended, uh, the Votes Act has been passed, um, and that will shorten, even though it's not the same election day registration, it is shortening registration period from 20 days before mm-hmm. to 10 days before which I think is great because that's making voting easier rather than harder as it's happening in so many states. But mail-in is, uh, because we're going under the old statute, um, it's online registration and mail-in registration um, and even in-person registration is now over. But early voting will begin on the 27th, which I think is this Saturday and that will go until September 2nd for our September 6th primary. The polls on September 6th are going to open at 7 a.m. and they will close at 8 p.m. Your absentee ballots, your mail-in ballot deadline is September 6th. So, folks, if there's ever been a more important time to vote, I don't know when that was. Mm-hmm. So, please do that. And you, Madam Mayor, I yeah. have to lead 
with uh, last week's news, but we didn't get a chance to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> yeah, why counselor... am I here on a Monday instead of a Wednesday anyway? Well, I don't remember um, what happened. <laughs> well, I guess I'll I'll tell you that what happened is our monthly meeting with um, Representative Paul Mark, who was That's running right. to become senator. Uh, he uh, wanted Paul to Mark. switch. He needed to do it on a Wednesday because I think he's busy with his campaign and. Now Whatever he owes else. me. He owes you. Well, it's nice. He's yours, right? Yeah. No, he isn't. <laughs> Not he, anymore. No, no, no. He, he still is. He is until January. You can yes. make him pay I, I can between get, now right. and I, January. Yeah, you can really work. like make him get pay. Get to work. Yeah. Yeah. You can say, you forced me to come in on a Monday and use an umbrella. Yeah, indeed. I have to ask you about yeah. Mr. Lapiansky. I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about um, his, um, what should I say, his fashion descriptions, but may, maybe you can tell us what well, happened. Well, there's so much more to it than that. There are a couple of things. That was probably the last straw. Well, let's tell folks about that just in case they don't know As about that. As opposed to the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So the last straw with Counselor Lipinski was when he publicly, in, in my turn, uh, in the Greenfield Recorder, uh, called out a fellow counselor, uh, Marianne Bullock of uh, Precinct 5. Marianne appeared, uh, well, she was part of a photo shoot uh, by Anja Schutz of, of Montague, who's done other things, grab, grab them by the ballot and so forth. And it, they usually involve women who are either not clothed at all or unclothed, I mean partially clothed. Partially clothed. So uh, this one it was a picture of Marianne with, uh, it's about the abortion rights ruling of the Supreme Court, picture of Marianne in her abort the court t-shirt and her bathing suit. So this bottoms. is the First Amendment Assembly, yeah. First Amendment protests, First Amendment freedom of expression saying yeah. uh, on behalf of all women who are concerned about women's reproductive health rights. Yeah. She was objecting to the Dobbs decision that the Supreme Court sadly laid down. And so she was wearing, what, a bathing suit bottom? She was wearing bathing suit bottoms and her T-shirt. And I think uh, I've seen women in both of those I things. know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and never bothered to ask them what they did for a living or if they were politically engaged or anything. So he took a great issue with that. He claims he's pro-choice, but he took great issue with that and did so in a very... Uh, misogynistic, body-shaming way in the newspaper. This is stuff and, that gives uh, us boys a bad name. It is definitely stuff that does that. Um, so uh, it was really the last straw uh, and uncalled for. I'm trying to figure out what is offensive about a woman wearing a, a bathing suit. And a T-shirt. And a T-shirt. I mean... Well, according to him, she should have had on pants or a skirt or, so you know. because she, she's a counselor or just because uh, she was in public? Loosely translated uh, because she was a counselor. It was very interesting and ironic that he would call her out for what she was wearing, given that he is fond of wearing uh, very effeminate clothes to council meetings or anywhere, really. So it's um it's kind He's of an interesting. He's got a strong sense of taste. Yes, Roxanne. it's 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 kind of interesting in that respect, but uh, really there were several straws on this camel, 
uh, one of the one just prior, maybe a week or two prior to that, was he refused to um, uh, join in any committee meetings at the end of the day. Right. So you so, were on the council. I mean, what portion of the council's work involves committee work? Well, I've never been a counselor, but I've certain I know a couple, <laughs> <laughs> and I have for many, many years. Well, my understanding and is the council operates. All subcommittee work is a lot of work, and it's it's how you get the work done. That's where the work gets done. Yeah. So when like he, any legislative yeah, body, yeah, he he's been there since January. He was he was sworn in in January as a new counselor, and from day one he's created issues. He does not allow his constituents to email him with their concerns or uh, questions. You must drop them off in a mailbox attached to his house in Greenfield. He represents Precinct Seven. Uh, so he's not an at-large counselor. but uh, So that's one thing. Um, he may or may not return your phone calls if you call and leave a voice message. And uh, he thinks that all virtual meetings are fake meetings that really didn't happen at all. So He sounds more like a counselor than a counselor. Yeah, right. So it's it, it was one thing after the other, and I think uh, the counselors had, had enough. Counselor... Um, Gwen's statement, and I don't recall it, uh, you know, from memory, really kind of hit the nail on the head when uh, he stated why he was calling for his censure. And there was a a vote to censure. Yeah, and I don't recall in all my years in Greenfield politics that happening. Uh, It's possible it did, and I missed it, but I do not, since we've had counselors, um, city councils, I I don't remember it happening. Yeah, well, um, you know, I would vi- invite Mr. Lapinski to uh, appear on the show and answer to it, but I'm always torn. Do I really give a platform to somebody um, <laughs> or, um, you know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be thinking. I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> yeah, you leave that one to me. I'm not sure that he would, after today, I'm not sure that he would accept an invitation, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, I, it does. Well, I think he's, in a strange way, enjoys the attention, too. So it's it's a double-edged sword. Well, you know, what rankles me is people are elected to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if what they're doing is just using it as a way to trumpet their own accomplishment rather than actually doing work on behalf of the people, then I think that it is uh, the most undemocratic of Yes, uh, of no, it really is. And um, I know that whether you're in the state legislature or in Congress or uh, any legislative mm-hmm. body, even, you know, it, in our little town of Ashfield, uh, committee work is where the real work is done. That's, you, you just can't put a bunch of people together and do everything in a three-hour meeting or a five-hour meeting. You just can't do it. You have to get together in smaller groups and actually mm-hmm. roll up your sleeves and work. And so the part that um, that I read about Mr. Lipinski's, um Camels, straws, <laughs> and that involved him refusing to work. That one really rankled me. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me, what's on your desk right now that's troubling you? Well, uh, a lot uh, is on my desk because I was in the process of cleaning it off when I looked at my calendar and realized, oops, I <laughs> better go stop to... <laughs> right this minute if I'm going to be down I'm there sorry. in person. <laughs> and, you know, it's just I wasn't used to the Monday thing. Um I will tell you that the drought has given me uh, many moments of concern. We, uh, up until, (laughs) whatever, two hours ago, um, 
we're right on the edge of severe drought. Yeah. And I get weekly reports from the uh, superintendent at the water water department, and uh, they work under the DPW. And the last one I read was very, very concerning about, um, you know, just not having, we had to dredge the Leiden Glen, which is our main water field, and um, tank, whatever you want to call it. Um, Your reservoir. So it's, yeah, it's not, there's no water in it. You know, I think we would not be in the situation if we had not had to do that, but it needed it, and it was funded this year through capital. And um, so... We're taking the opportunity to do it, N- not believing or, you know, last year we had too much rain and it caused all kinds of problems. This year we have had no rain and that's causing all kinds of problems. So all of the tanks are up to now, uh, we're, fill, uh, you know, filling the need as much as possible, particularly the need to have enough water supply for fire, um, uh, you know, major fires or any fire, really. Um, so it's been very concerning, and, you know, I've had my eye on it along with the DPW director, Marla Warner, for, um, for, for, for several weeks now. Yeah, I know in Rhode Island it is officially severe drought. Mm. Um, there are whole communities where uh, mayors, I assume, and they, they're bringing in truckloads of... Um, Bottles of water, mm. which of course are another ecological disaster because mm-hmm. we don't need more little plastic <laughs> bottles floating around. But um, yeah, that's what they have to do because they just don't have enough water for people to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was not at the stage where it was affecting our drinking water um, or the water we use at our households, but it's pretty close. Yeah, what to about that. for your lawn and but things like that? We've not been able to water our lawn. First, we were on alternating days. Before 9 a.m. and after 5 p.m., um, you could water um, based on, you know, the number on your house, <laughs> odd or even, right. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that helped quite a bit. I mean, there was evidence of conservation, but there was also evidence that people were not conserving as much as they should be, you know. Yeah. And then we discovered that it, and I don't know how this happened, but at GCC, um, they had never turned off their sprinklers, so they were sprinkling. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. My first, Un- unannounced. Interview, first interview of President... So we had new, to fix that one for them. <laughs> new President, Dr. Michelle Schrott. I'm sure that she was unaware. Yeah. She's brand new. She's coming on tomorrow. I'll be oh, meeting. good. Yeah. yeah I have an opportunity to meet her. Actually, I'm not sure if it's this week or next week, but I'm looking forward to it. I was on the search committee, so ah. somewhat familiar with her already. Well, I only yeah. had, you know, I met her for a drink of water. And <laughs> yes, right, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully sh- not in Greenfield. <laughs> I am, no, not in Greenfield. <laughs> Come up to Asheville where <laughs> it runs free. Well, I will say before we take a break, um, we're going to take a break in the next minute, but here in, in Asheville, um, Marcin and I are lucky enough to have an artesian well mm. goes down 289 feet. Wow. And what is now happening, mm. so we don't have to worry about yeah. the town. Well, August is typically dry in the hills anyway. We but, are getting yeah. silt coming up in our faucets because it's so, the water yeah. level down in the artesian even lakes. Even there. Yeah, so, which is really scary. Even mm-hmm. there, yeah. at 300 feet below the surface, yeah. there's a drought going well, on. Well, clearly... A day like today needs to happen many more times for many, us many to days. be out of the woods. Yeah, There's we no need question. a few weeks of today. Mm-hmm. We're talking with uh, Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner. We're going to be back with Roxanne right after these messages. Stay with us.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 101.5, We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Forbes Library is Northampton's public library with an amazing circulating collection of over 325,000 items, including bestsellers, recent releases, tons of movies, large print books, ebooks, audiobooks, and an extensive collection for kids and teens featuring board books, picture books, chapter books, and graphic novels. The library even has musical instruments that you can borrow. You can search the library's catalog online at ForbesLibrary.org, and while you're there, you can request a card and place items on hold. The library's website is also a great place to find out about upcoming programs and events, which are always free and open to the public. We have story times, book clubs for kids, teens, and adults, poetry discussions, film discussions, author talks, concerts, movies for grown-ups, and so much more. Visit ForbesLibrary.org for more information and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep up with all the latest happenings. It's your library. Make the most of it. This is the Noon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Her Honor, Roxanne Wiedergartner, Mayor of Greenfield. And I wanted to ask you, Madam Mayor, uh, I just let me lead this way. We had on this program Kim John Payne. He is a an internationally renowned child psychologist, author of I think eight books um, in in the arena of simplicity parenting. And uh, the last time that uh, Kim was on, he talked about the fact that uh, there was a large study about children. Um, who became reliant on screens from their Zoom learning situation during the pandemic. And what um, the study found is the kids need a screen once mm -hmm. they become acclimated to learning by screen. Rather than being creative, they learn to be responsive to what's up on the screen, and their phones become a means mm -hmm. of replacing what's not on the computer screen, even during class when it's in session. Mm -hmm. There's been um, an action by the Greenfield School Committee mm -hmm. in that regard. Can you talk about that? Well, when school starts this year, uh, at middle school and high school level, students will be um, asked to put their phone in a what's called a yonder. It's, it's a particular brand. There's other ones, but it's a, a yonder patch, uh, a pack, rather. <laughs> and uh, it's, they lock the pack. Uh, so I don't know the exact logistics of it. 
But the, the idea is when they come into school, when they enter school... Their phones become inaccessible. Their phones become inaccessible, locked in the pack. And when they leave the school grounds in the afternoon, they uh, deactivate the lock and ha- can have access to them. It was uh, a decision made uh, by the superintendent to do this uh, at the behest of many of her teaching staff and her administrative staff because they were, by all accounts, had a hellish year last year with many types of classroom behaviors, and not the least of which was, uh, and controlling those and spending more time controlling the classroom misbehaviors than they were teaching. So um, they asked this year if, if some, what could be done. And the recommendation uh, after talking about it was that uh, they, at a minimum, they lock their cell phones up because Classroom. so many of them were using them and not, not putting them away when asked by teachers who were then spending more time telling different children to put away their cell phones than they were teaching, yeah. which is disadvantaging other students who My experience with there. younger students, uh, you know, I, I taught at Greenfield Community College, and mm-hmm. um, for the most part, they were older and I was able to just, classroom management wasn't really an issue. Mm-hmm. But I know how hard it is to get kids, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, they're distracted by their phones for good reason. You know, yeah. if, they, if they don't have them, they feel victimized somehow. Yes, they do, and, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and to, it's hard to develop a lesson plan. And, yeah. and no matter how good it is, the kids are going to be distracted by phones. So right. I, it just yeah. makes a whole lot of sense to me. But are you going to hear backlash because people are angry about this? Well, we actually voted on it last school committee meeting, so we, two weeks ago, and um, I had to... There were, there's a, there were at least two members of the school committee who voted against it um, who were siding more with parents who feel the need to be in contact with their children and vice versa oh. throughout the day oh, I see. for very various reasons. Other parents were concerned about safety. If something were happening at school, say a, a school violence of some sort, they wouldn't be able right. to call their parents and so forth. So there's definitely a, a group of parents out there that I'm sure are um, unhappy about it. But there's a lot of parents, I know many of them, I've talked to them, who are very happy with it because their children did feel uh, like they were losing out last year by the fact that they couldn't continue. You couldn't have a class. It was constantly being interrupted by students who were not paying attention using their phones. And they, I think, are very supportive of it. I had to balance that thinking because I can, I have two grandchildren. Mm-hmm. One's 12, one's uh, 14. The 12-year-old's soon to be 13. And uh, I know that they use their, they like their cell phones. They have cell phones. I don't know what their school policy is. They live in Littleton, uh, Mass. So, um, but I understand parents who, because of the ubiquitousness and of the use of tele of cell phones, the ability to have that connection with your kids while they're in school. Um, and so I understood that, but I, I, I wanted to actually err on the side of the teachers who I think are, are not being allowed to do what they do best, and that's teach. And what we have them there for. That's what they're there teach. for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your job as a mayor, even in a, you know, a, a town of under 20,000 people, mm-hmm. I guess it's a city. We're always it is talking. a city. Is it, is it a city? That's is why it I'm a, a mayor. 
Um, I wouldn't be here if it weren't. But they still call it town council, didn't they, for nope. a long time? Well, city council. Well, for <laughs> the longest time, we were the town known as the city of Greenfield. Well, which never made any sense to me. In, in the minute we have left, I just I just <laughs> wanted to say every time we speak, um, I'm extremely empathetic. Everything is balancing. There's tension. Uh, you go this way, yes. and some people are going to be unhappy. You go this way, and some people are going to be unhappy. And it, is it at the end of the day, are you just trying to find out what makes the most people happy, <laughs> or are you trying to find out what Roxanne thinks is the best way to go? Yeah, I haven't cracked that nut yet, really, to be honest with you. I try to look at every issue that I have to deal with from the standpoint of the fact that I represent 17,774 people. I don't represent, you know, 100 people who want you to do this and 100 people who want you to do that, depending on what the issue is, uh, or 200 or 300 even. And those are important numbers, too. I want to be mindful of what, they, um, what they're saying. Yeah. And then I have to use my best judgment and explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. And find your own balance. And yeah. find my own balance and what I think is right. And a lot of times it's done to keep us out of legal trouble. Well, I respect the fact that you're doing that <laughs> as a lawyer. And I love the fact too. that you got wet coming to the afternoon yes, buzz today. I know. Wow. It's great. Thank you well, so much for joining me. <laughs> oh, you look perfect. <laughs> I, uh, I am not going to make a mistake about criticizing the way you look. Because <laughs> you look beautiful. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much, Roxanne. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Join us tomorrow. We're going to meet the Greenfield Community College President, Dr. Michelle Schrott, tomorrow. Have a great evening. Stay wet. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Manja, this shop Tuesday. It's Nini's Ristorante. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Nini's Ristorante will be releasing gift certificates for their restaurant in East Hampton. Nini's is an authentic Italian-American cuisine restaurant. Incredible Italian cannoli, pizza, pasta, seafood, and a full bar. Great for the family or for a date. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Capiche? Nini's Ristorante in East Hampton. Available this shop Tuesday, 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Do you love fishing? Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 5 o'clock.